Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's at work in our mess. Because a truly beautiful life is so much more than a flawless Instagram page or the illusion of having it all figured out. Because as you already know, more often than not, life is messy and meaningful. It's bitter and sweet. It's truth and grace. And it's in a raw space like this one where choosing to be vulnerable and sharing even a small piece of our stories can help us see God in a whole new light. Well, if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Jen Jewell. And honestly, I am just 100% grateful that you decided to click that little triangle play button. I also have an amazing co-host back with me. If you've joined us for long, you already know her. You already love her. The Cindy Beal. Y'all, The Messy Table is actually partnered with the women of our church, Life Church, because we're all about being engaged in the local church. But we're also super passionate about equipping and encouraging God's entire church, the global body of Christ. So no matter where you're coming from or what you're currently facing, we absolutely believe you are not here by accident. So we're coming up on Easter weekend. Yes, this coming weekend. And as we approach Good Friday, I was reading the various gospel letters that describe what happened leading up to Jesus's crucifixion and eventual resurrection. And I've read this story, what feels like a hundred times, yet it stopped me in my tracks. Guys, two criminals. Two criminals are also crucified next to Jesus. One on his left, one on his right. And according to Luke 23, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. So listen, God is not just a God of second chances, but he's also a God of last minute chances. This man, this criminal hanging next to Jesus during his last moments on earth, didn't have time to go get his life together or even get baptized or start going to church, but he turned to Jesus for salvation, not even knowing that he was about to rise from the dead. Yet that trusting faith was enough. So the Bible is full of all kinds of second chance stories like the prodigal son who blew his whole inheritance on himself, like the nameless woman in the book of John who was caught in the act of adultery, like Peter, one of Jesus's closest friends who, when times got tough, completely denied that he even knew Jesus three times. Yet Jesus still appointed him to preach at Pentecost, a catalyst message that ignited the early church, which has rippled into the legacy we know today. And that is why we are thrilled to introduce you to our guest for episode 98 with deep courage, tremendous vulnerability, and a healthy dose of wit. Jenny Clayville is going there in hopes that others might uncover the same unconditional love. You see, Jenny and her husband are living proof that a marriage can not only survive the throes of infidelity, but seize the invitation to thrive again. And whether you have a similar story or not, there is so much to learn. Y'all, Jenny is a wife and mom and campus pastor at National Community Church in Washington, D.C., plus a lifelong learner who's working on her master's in theology from Fuller Theological Seminary, who is passionate about helping couples find redemption and helping women know their true identity and advocating for the marginalized, confronting Asian American hate, and pointing anyone and everyone to God's never-ending grace. So, 
Get ready, grab your coffee, and join Cindy and me for a chat with Jenny. Well, Jenny, welcome to the messy table. We are pumped. Me too. So excited. Jenny Clayville. Come on. Are you on the podcast, the messy table podcast? (laughs) I am. And I got to tell you that I have been waiting for this and I'm a little bit nervous, but also I'm just ready. You don't have to be nervous. I'm ready. Listen, I got my favorite blanket, some coffee. We're doing this remote, but I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. I drank all my coffee and I don't need more than this. So I'm just, I got my water and I got a cookie just in case. Oh, because, you know, we're all about health right now. That's a good addition. It's not a bad thing to have available is the cookie. Um, Get a little sugar rush. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So let me just kind of dive into the people listening, which I'm sure is an amazing group of people today. So hello, listeners. Hello. Um, But Jenny Clayville and I have been friends for well over a decade, Mm. like a very long time and fun little story here. We met through the internet. It wasn't inappropriate. It was just a friendship. <laughs> Don't worry. We met online. We were back in the days when blogging was the thing. She back found my blog. Day. What's a blog? Back in the day. I know people still blog, but I don't read as many. Um, anyway, we met. And she shared her story with me. I shared my story with her. And even more fun of a story. Fun fact. Let's just say fun fact. I wrote about her and her husband in my first book. Uh-huh. Yes. I wrote about them before I met her in person. Really? Right. Right. We weren't actually we weren't friends. We were friends online, but not friends friends. Okay. So you yeah, met we real over friends. the internet because of your stories and then you yep. met in real life. Right. Aww. Right. Her book actually said like we have not yet met. And it's funny because then we met soon after that. And so I, every time I read it, I'm like, well, this is false. (laughs) (laughs) Can you make that edit, Cindy, when you re-release your book? I did. Well, and another thing I've told the listeners a few weeks ago that my book is re-releasing in the fall of 2021. And Jenny and Brian updated their story for the book. And so I did update a few things and all that stuff because in a 10 year span, We have a deep friendship and have served together through an amazing organization called Leading and Loving It. So a real long history that I have with Jenny Clayville. So I am Mm -hmm. super thrilled that everybody gets to hear from her today. So Jenny, give us a little uh, 411, a little info on who you are. Yeah, well, First of all, Jen, I just love that you've created the space where women can be real and they don't have to pretend to be something they're not. And um, man, I fit right into that because I don't really know how else to be but myself. So that's what we want. (laughs) Yeah. My husband is Brian. We've been married for 20 years and we have two kids. We have two boys. I'm a boy mom. So Chance is 15 and a half. He's about to get his permit. Guys, I'm scared. Oh gosh. And Paxton is 12 and he is just my brilliant, smart like doesn't ever want me to hug him, but I love him so much. I just, (laughs) it's so cute. So those are my kids. And, um, you know, I'm sure you've seen my picture already at this point, but I am Chinese American. My name, Jenny Clayville would not really show that because I married a white man, right? (laughs) So people, (laughs) I, I was in marketing for a while and I'd like do a cold call and I'd walk in and they'd look at me like, so like it's it's not new for me, but uh, yeah, I just thought I'd point that out. So I am Chinese American. I was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. Um, my parents are immigrants from Hong Kong, mm. and uh, yeah, and so when I was growing up, I was definitely in the tension of English was my second language, but really growing up in this tension of 
the expectation of living in a culture that is Chinese, but also fully American. Mm -hmm. And so um, as my story goes on, that's actually woven into everything. And I would say, if I'm completely honest, like I didn't realize how much it was woven in until probably the last five years. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, I grew up, I was the first born of three girls. Um, My mom became a Christian when I was three years old. And so we started going to church without my dad, actually. My dad was not a believer. And so going to a church and my godmother had invited my mom time and time again. And finally she went. And so guys, that's just the importance of an invite. Don't stop inviting. Like that's very, very real in our story. It's changed the trajectory of our lives because none of us were believers. Like go all the generations back. Like we are a generation of non-Christ believers. So um, it's changed everything for us. All three of my sisters love Jesus. And it's kind of a miracle in itself that that's happened. And so, yeah, so the spiritual side of things, definitely like just a lot of grace in that. Uh, Unfortunately, as we're growing up, my mom, um, there's just a lot of dysfunctional stuff going on. And my mom did the best that she could. Uh, My parents divorced when I was seven. And so I would say that she was probably doing it alone even before that because it's somewhat of a cultural thing um but she became a single mom pretty quickly and despite her best efforts her best just wasn't very good Mm. Uh, there was a lot of abuse uh, going on mostly physical emotional mental and definitely spiritual uh, as she was trying to like understand faith within the context of her culture and just understanding in her mind period. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I hope um, as I share the story that no one looks at my mom as the villain because she's not, she's just a human trying to figure it out. And, um, you know, as we're growing up and as I become a mom of my own, I just had to realize, okay, well, that wasn't right, but also like, it's Mm -hmm. not all her fault kind of a Mm -hmm. thing. And so all that to say, just growing up with this cultural um, disconnect with a single mom that was not very good at connecting relationally. And I didn't have a father figure. My father figure was much more like a friend and there was a lot of reconciliation at the end, but he wasn't around a lot. My mom kind of like barred us from that. And so just, yeah, a lot of trying to figure out what a heavenly father to that in the Bible says he loves us unconditionally and not really fully understanding how to connect yeah. that in in not experiencing it mm-hmm. right exactly because you know you just are looking at your earthly examples right and so yeah there's a lot of dysfunctionality um and just growing up in that but in it a part of the culture is really just what you do like your worth is how you perform what you kind of shoot out and so we just worked really hard and somewhere in all of that messiness I realized I was at a vacation Bible school and I was actually a volunteer. I think I was maybe in sixth or seventh grade and I was a volunteer helping with little kids. And at one point, the speaker said, if you've never prayed these words to accept Jesus into your heart, I want to invite you to do this. And this whole time, remember from the age three on, I was going to church and I thought, well, yeah, like automatically, like I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I realized in that moment, I have actually never invited Jesus personally to be my savior. And so in that moment, I prayed to accept Jesus into my heart. And a couple of years later, I was baptized and my mom was super excited. She's like, you're part of the family. Mm. And a part of me was like, was I not before? You know, but at, <laughs> but at the same time, I think those were some 
milestones growing up in my faith. But, you know, even in that point, like I, I don't think I fully connected. It was more of like I was saved, but I didn't have much of a relationship with Jesus until I turned, I think it's 15 or 16. And I was part of a youth group that really was like I saw students for the first time diving into the word and like being a part of community and actually living for Jesus. I've never connected those pieces before. Right. And so I thought, oh my goodness, I can have this own relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I started just diving in. I was reading Bible. I was getting into, and I honestly didn't know how to read the Bible. So like we had like, you know, devotionals, those are so helpful and just like help direct me into reading it, jumping into a small group. And really I just, at that point kind of took off and found this new desire um, mm. to have a closeness with God um, mm. that I had never seen. Right. And a lot of it was a miraculous, just like a hope kind of yeah. that God poured into me. Right. I love that word desire. Yes. How he puts those desires in our heart. Absolutely. And I felt it. And I remember at one point, my mom asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was 16. And I just said, at that time, guys, I'm I'm 42. So it's like just old enough that there were no women in ministry at that time. And so I remember thinking the only way I could do ministry was to marry a pastor. So I told my mom, I want to be a pastor's wife. I remember thinking that. Exactly. And and here you are, right? Well, <laughs> I married a business guy that right. ended up being a pastor. So that's a whole nother story. Right. And, and, you know, fast forward, of course, I ended up marrying Brian, who's amazing, but he's not a pastor. And somehow along the way, God opened up doors for me actually to become the pastor. And so really in my experience, I've been in ministry for 20 years now, and it's very much a, I'm just figuring it out because in, in many circles, I am the first and maybe the only in the room. And so, yeah, that's pretty much like the long the, or the short of my journey um, spiritually. Uh, but I think in every journey, every experience, um, there are some points of crisis that mm -hmm. really flip you into where you really are in your understanding of your part in the kingdom. And one of my biggest crises, which is how I ended up in Cindy's book, is um, it, it had to do with infidelity. And so 16 years ago, Chance was nine months old. And at around that time, there's a lot of details involved and we can jump into that later if we want. But at nine months, I was just a big mess. Like I just just trying to figure out who I was and not having a strong foundation in that. Uh, but I, I just chose, uh, even though everything was good in my life, I chose to step into an affair. Mm. Um, he was also married and it's so crazy because when I chose to do that, you know, some people say like, I don't know. I just, I don't even know how it happened. I absolutely know how it happened. It was a choice every single time. Mm. Um, what is surprising in hindsight is how deceived you can be in the secrets of it all. Right. Right. But I can't in good conscience say that I didn't know what was going on. Each time I chose to step deeper into the affair was a choice on my side. Um, yeah. And so I, I stepped in an affair that lasted about two years wow. um, and totally kept it for my husband and finally broke it off. Don't know how this happened, but never got caught. And at one point I remember 
a good friends of ours now, Justin and Trisha Davis, we met them at a, you know, Cindy, we all spoke together at some point, but um, we met at a conference and we're like, man, they're just really fun. Let's sit down with them and have dinner. And so Brian and I just literally met them like that day and we're sitting down at PF Chang's and out of nowhere, it seemed at the time, Justin was like, so I had an affair and I lost my ministry and blah, 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 and just went into his story. And on my side, I was kind of thrown off because I felt like they were sharing my story, Hmm. but I had never seen a marriage that had gone through infidelity actually I wouldn't even say thrive, like actually even survive. And so this was a whole new context for me. And I remember just staring at them very clearly in my head, seeing it as a sign from God, like, I need you to obey in this moment and confess. And I mean, you guys, I actually had felt some of that tugging early on, but like definitely shoved it to the side, right? And at this point, it was not... I could not ignore that point. What was going through your head? A lot of cuss words. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. This is the time as we talk about, you know, the blog world, I had a pretty significant blog following Mm -hmm. and I was like, I can't, I will lose everything. I will lose everything. And it was such a huge fear, but I also had not heard God's voice in this way in so long that I knew I couldn't disobey. And so we were at this, we're in a hotel and I had just put Paxton like into his crib and we we're in this hotel room and Brian had the TV on and I just sat down and I said, honey, I need to, I need to talk to you. And he looked at me and was like, hmm. and he turned the TV off and I confessed. I just told him, I wish I could say I told him everything, but I think I told him enough. That's some of the mistake also too, is that I, I did not put it all out there. I wanted to protect him from the pain that I saw I was already inflicting. And yeah. so did a little bit come out at a time? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it definitely, uh, the majority of it came out at the beginning. And then I tried to salvage some things. And mm-hmm. honestly, ladies, I, I just lied to, to, yeah. to cover it up. And it's a pretty common thing right. for someone who's confessing, especially in the world of infidelity. They, they're just giving you enough. Right. Um, they're managing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was trying to manage and, you know, wished I didn't, uh, because really as that stuff came out, like every time he chose to trust me, then it was showing that I was not trustworthy. Right. And so mm-hmm. we really had to work through that. Um, and that's definitely an understatement. Um, yeah. And so I'm a pastor and I'm worried about what people are going to think of me. I had a well-read blog and I knew what this would mean, you know? And so to clarify, were you a pastor, What was your position? Worship pastor. I was a worship pastor. Okay. Yeah, I was a worship pastor for the first 17 years of... You know, sometimes you hear pastor and it's like, are you the lead pastor? Are you the hosting pastor? Are you the worship pastor? Right. Yeah. So, you know, at that point I had been a worship pastor for probably like eight years. Um, I was also to clarify, I wasn't working at the church that I worked at when all of this was happening. And so after I confessed, Brian was like, we have some work to do, like you, you need to confess. I don't know what was wrong with me, guys. I honestly, like when I confessed to Brian, I thought that was it. 
Like I thought it would stop there. I don't know what I was thinking. And he said, no, like, and Brian has never really required anything of me. He's like, Sydney knows he's so chill. And he was just like, nope, these are some things that need to happen. You need to tell your pastor. You need to tell the church. You need to figure out, like, you need to tell your family. You've lied to our friends. I was like, oh no. So like, I was so... I was so lost. I was so lost. I knew at this point in my head, I was like, this marriage might not make it. But wow, how amazing that his response was, we have work to do instead of running for the hills. That's awesome. Well, he didn't run for the hills, but he was very honest about not knowing where this was going to go. And I'm actually glad he didn't say we're going to be okay because we didn't know. You didn't know. Yeah. Right. In the complete chaos of it all he was real in his i don't know and so we came home from the conference and that's when i slowly kind of went through my list of who i'm going to confess to and so of course i i told our pastor and his wife and they were very gracious and they just said you know this didn't happen under our watch and we know it took a lot for you to confess and so like is this happening now? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, then your job is safe. Like, let's figure out, like, what do you need from us? Um, and so they did a great job in grace there. I think in hindsight, if I were in charge now, I would have said, how about you take some time off and really supported them in counseling? Mm-hmm. Uh, we did go into counseling and we did it out of our own pocket, which we did not have a lot of money at that time. Um, like, got right into counseling. I think I was in counseling twice a week and we had a coaching. I called Trisha and in this season, this is when I actually met Cindy. (laughs) And so um, common experiences bond people, right? right? And so for those who don't know or are maybe new to the podcast, Cindy and Chris went through a remarkable journey. There was infidelity, but they were completely restored better than new. And she's written books about it. So just some context for that. Yes, guys, that's a tag. Come on. For sure. Come on. Get, get her books. Get her books. Yes. I do uh, assign those books to those I coach. P.S. Just want you to know. That's good. Hey, you're so funny. Fun story. Uh, 19 years ago on February the 19th was our D-Day, which what we call it in that world. And so it's been really cool to see just more redemption with mm-hmm. each passing year. And, mm-hmm. and I think that as Jenny, as she shared and as she continues to talk about it, like, that's what you're going to hear because I know the story. I know mm-hmm. how it turned out and how it is now. So it's it's pretty remarkable. And to see Jenny be fully willing to just navigate the hard and walk through it. And some days she was stuck and some days she made it through and made a few steps. So it, it's been a real fun journey to watch. Yes. Thanks, Cindy. And before we move on, you know, I just want to acknowledge that coming out of the year that we've had and then even into 2021, which has also started out a little rocky and crazy. We know just from talking to people in ministry, the pressure that's on my own marriage, it's been a hard season for a lot of people. And so we just want to acknowledge that we know that there are many people that are in the trenches of a difficult place in their marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they have had an affair in the past. Maybe they are flirting with the line or in the trenches of it right now. And so I just want to acknowledge that and maybe even peel back the curtains a little bit, Jenny. I think there's this myth that like, oh, some horrible sinner out there is going to fall into this temptation when really there are amazing Mm -hmm. people who love Jesus 
who, like you said, one little step at a time, one little choice every day can really lead you down a path that you probably never expected to be on. Yeah. You know, I think for a long time, people are looking at men as the main offender, but they are having affairs with women. Mm. Right. And I think the church um, does a lot of great things, but I think a place that we can improve in is how we love the marginalized, how we love the people in messy situations. And what it does, it, it creates this divide where the people that need the grace of God the most run the opposite direction. Mm. Uh, there was some of those situations, but I was very fortunate that as I was confessing, the people that I was confessing to were so gracious. Um, I had friends that checked on Brian on a daily basis that were overseas. I had women, uh, there was a whole new shift in like boundaries for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I was definitely that girl that grew up that, I mean, let's be honest, in high school, girls are not kind. And so I, it was just easier to be friends with guys. And it yeah. just, again, it's these little flips that kind of um, become a habit and you don't have that safeguard up. Right. And so there's a lot of things, me not knowing who I was really um, not taking the time to really deconstruct my understanding of whose I was going into this. And That's so of good. course, as I jump into this, I love Jesus my salvation was not in question at this time. Right. My actions and my choices as a human being definitely in, in question. And so some of my friends just showed me the grace of Jesus. But I think the greatest grace was in my husband. And I, up to this point, had only spoken about the grace of God and not really experienced it or understood it. And Brian... Mm showed me what the grace of God looked like. And so, I mean, just some context, like he didn't say, I forgive you right away. Uh, he had some great um, advice around that part. And the advice was, don't say, I forgive you until you're ready to not throw it in her face ever again. Hmm. And he did. He, he waited. And I think it was like six months in and he just looked at me and he said, I forgive you. Wow. And it was like this moment of that's actually the moment that I knew we're not going to get divorced. Our kids are not going to have to go back and forth between two homes. Um, so that first six months was definitely rough. I mean, Cindy did walk me through that. I remember, mm. Cindy, you were so great. Um, at first, we were just strangers, internet stalker, right? Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> right. And Cindy, right. Would, <laughs> Cindy would call and check in, how are you doing? Um, and, and that's really what I needed. And so wow. I were, or I'm seeing it pop up quite a bit as a pastor still, like as a, as a pastor now. And like, like you said, Jen, the tension in the pandemic, um, people are struggling in their marriages and we are a culture of fairy tales, right? Fairy tale endings. And so we don't understand that when we say I do, it means once upon a time, not happily ever after. And the work begins here. And so I just, I guess I want to take this moment and say to women and men listening right now, if you are on the line of an affair, if you're flirting with it, or if you are already in it, this isn't the end. Mm. You're not casted out. You're not hopeless. You are loved. We get it. Like I get it. And so know that there is another side to it. Of course, it's not a flip-flop super fast, like 
there's a bow. Like I know my story looks like there's a beautiful bow tied on it, but it took a long time. I mean, that was yeah. The beginning of this was 16 years ago, right? I'd love to hear about some of those steps, just those kind of baby steps and confessing and turning and repenting. Like how did you go from basically one life where you were keeping a lot of secrets hidden yeah. to getting that all out in the open and basically walking, running the other way? What did that look like? Uh, well, you had to relearn everything, first of all. Um, okay. But, you know, the Bible talks about how when you shine light on the darkness— darkness can't hide anything or right and so that's the first thing I had to do is you know Brian was right when he's like you have to confess and so I confessed um I think the hardest one was confessing to his parents who were so good at loving me uh, and they still do love me so well but confessing and then getting to the place of sharing it in the church and then for me I had to share it on my blog because I had shared a lot of stuff there too. So it just came down to accountability and integrity at that point. Mm. I will say right here though, not everyone is called to share that publicly. In fact, if you're thinking about doing it, I would pause. There are, there's to do it authentically and to do it real. Like it's Sydney and I have a friend who went public and then it actually backfired. So like and when you say public, you're not saying confessing it to your husband and close friends and maybe a pastor. You're you're just saying like the public watching world where yes, everybody yes. goes. Right. The blog world. Yeah. Yeah. Social media, Facebook, all right. those anything. Oh yeah. But I felt I had to do it because I was already on the platform. So that's the thing too. So if you're on the platform then yeah, your confession is going to have to get to a point where it is pretty public. But if you aren't, then I would say until you are ready to actually talk about it. And also your spouse needs to be good with it. That's a good point. Your spouse has to be on board. Well, and, and Jenny, I think you'll agree with me that when you and I, when our stories happened and we began this journey and you know, when Pastor Craig preached about our story to the one campus that we were at at Life Church, we had two campuses back then. So, like, never what I have and what I've walked through and what I'm experiencing today did I ever think that would be my reality. No, Same not. thing with you. Yours was just like, I got to tell the people around me so I don't have to live in a secret world anymore. Right. right. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, wow, there's actually a place for me to share my story on a bigger platform or stage or whatever it right. is. Mm -hmm. Right. I think if you're going to share, check your heart. Like, I don't love saying check your heart, but like check your motivation. Like, <laughs> yeah. are you trying to, are you trying to land a place on the platform? Because if that's yeah. it, like this will cost your family, this will cost your children. And so wow. as you're going through it, know how you're sharing it, but sharing your story in your community, yeah. super important. Yeah. Super important. close friends, the people that you do life with. Right. And I think it's I mean, going back to what you were saying, Jenny, it's kind of cracking me up a little bit. Like if people are like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to be on the platform for infidelity. I'm like, yeah, you might want to choose another platform. There. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, like not great. That's not great. That's platform. Not, I get what you're saying, though. Yeah. Like someone who wants to have yeah. influence and right. Well, you know, I'll have friends who ask if I can meet with their friend and, you know, I'm just kind of known as the adultery girl. Like I just, mm -hmm. I get those calls and it's, it's just, I don't take offense to it. I understand mm -hmm. that that's a part of my story. Um, but I will say this, and I will say it for Jenny as well. That's not all of my story. You right. know, mm -hmm. I right, like, right. I like to consider myself 
as redeemed. Mm -hmm. I am walking a life of redemption in so many different areas, just like Jenny, just like Jen as well. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's definitely, it's normal to have, I, I think I have less now, but to have like some of those triggers of shame and guilt pop up. And I think if you can reposture that in your eyes, knowing that it's conviction, it just means that you need to reassess where you're at, right? Because mm-hmm. you had asked Jen, like some of the the steps that kind of like took me from there to here. And so really the first one, sharing your story um, in the safe space. And obviously God had to do a heart work inside of you first, right. which right. was triggered when your friends, new friends right. shared their story. Exactly. And so be open to the Holy Spirit, like listen, right? But the next thing that I did practically was I sabotaged myself. So Mm. I, this sounds really extreme, but I needed it for myself. I just cut out all my guy friends. Yeah. I cut out coworkers and I don't mean like cut them out, like didn't ever talk to them, but like they were not my confidants, like nothing. And I found in that, beauty in girlfriends that I had never had before. Mm. God really blessed me in that. It took time, but a lot of amazing women rose to the top. And that time I can honestly say like Cindy rose to the top for me and was really like one of my best friends. Like I could tell Mm. her anything. I could tell her the most ugliest thoughts in my mind. And she's like, get it. I get it, girl, you know, and no judgment, but also like course correction. Right. And so Uh, really creating that, um, Make it impossible for yourself to fail. So for me, um, you know, they call it the Billy Graham rule, right? Don't get in a car with a guy, mm-hmm. right? Don't be alone. I, I still practice that. Yeah. Um, it's actually not required at the church that I work at now. I still do it. They all know I do it, but I'm it. like, I don't have an option. We do it too. Yeah. Yeah. I actually love that about Life Church when I was there and um, I appreciated it a lot. And some people will say, oh, so you don't trust yourself or you don't trust, you know, and it's like, it's not about you know that. what? It's not about that. It's about being smart. Right. Right. But, you know, honestly, too, like if you want to have an affair, you're going to work around. Right. It, right. So it's totally. just like, <laughs> but seriously, creating those hedges of protection around myself so that I can do any more. Like I am an introvert. And so something that I loved before all this was getting away for a weekend. And I came back like totally rejuvenated. But then when the fair time, like that season was happening, I would use as an excuse to get away. And so Mm -hmm. I had to give up for years. I still actually don't do it. I still don't get away on my own mentally. I just had to figure out a different way. And so like if I did a retreat, I would pick a few couple, like a couple of girlfriends that I knew would give me some time. And I would go the long way around and Brian never asked for this, but I would ask her to come pick me up. Like these are girls that will tell on me in a second. Right. Right. So um, they would come pick me up in a well. I love that though. You were going the extra distance for him. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, little things. Brian has my passwords. Um, I have no secret emails. He has access to everything that I have now. And for a long time, I don't do this anymore, but for a long time, like anytime I texted a guy, I just CC Brian and Brian was like, please stop. Like he was like, this (laughs) is, this is too much, you know? Yeah. 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 So, but yeah, a lot of that. You know, something you said earlier, you were actually talking about your mom. 
it just makes me think that, yes, we're all sinners in desperate need of Jesus. But you mentioned um, that your mom, who had some dysfunction going on, was just a human trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, we are totally sinners. We totally need Jesus. But we're all human who are trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. who need grace, who need mercy, who need Jesus every day. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say to the women listening who are just like ah, so much shame, so much guilt? I cannot believe I did this. I know I have a one of my dear friends went through an affair a while back and has also been redeemed. We'll just say, I just cannot believe I did that. I can't, I cannot. It feels like a different person. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? Honestly, I get why that is. But when you say I can't believe I did that. That is also a posture of like, I'm bigger than all of this. Mm -hmm. And it actually is in the same tone of when something like this happens and you say, I am never going to do that again. That's dangerous. And for someone to say, like someone listening to this, be like, oh, I will never have an affair. I mean, I was literally that girl. When I got married to Brian, I said, if you have an affair, I will leave you. And look, that's pride. It is Mm. pride, you know? And so... Um, To those women out there, I would say the enemy is the great deceiver. Yes. And so when you feel that guilt and that shame, the enemy is flipping any little bit of conviction, which Mm. is required in our, our walk with Jesus. He's flipping that to guilt and shame because conviction moves us forward. It, it calls for action to propel us forward. Whereas guilt and shame keeps you, it holds you down in space where you can't get out of it. Mm. And so know the counterfeit oh, that's and good. don't allow yourself to be played into the enemy's game. Because if the enemy can take you out, you can't talk about it. Then there will be no restoration. And there's no further story for other people that could gain anything from this, right? And so what's really been interesting is um, I didn't want to share my story, you know, and I didn't want to confess, but in the confession and in the sharing of my story, we saw Brian's family that was actually very conservative in sharing. I wouldn't, not like, I'm not talking like in their their theology even, but just like conservative in how much they shared, like that's private, all Mm -hmm. of that stuff that kind of got dismantled and they were asking me questions and they started sharing their mess from years ago. And there was a lot of healing that happened out of that. And I, I can't say that it's because I did all this, but it was because there was a willingness to obey, to follow whatever plan God had in this story. Right. Well, it's it's exactly what we learn that it's in our story, it's in our troubles where we've received help from God, and then we can then come and comfort others, and we can help others, and That's right. God's not going to waste anything, and He's going to use whatever He wants to use, whenever He wants to use it, however He wants to use it, to change lives, mm-hmm. and that that is His business, is right. change lives. And so it didn't mean that He's glad you did that, right. and that you made those choices, but you know what? I can certainly still use it because I am the God right. of it all, you know? Right. I love what you said, Cindy, that he doesn't waste anything. Nothing. And, exactly. you know, just thinking of Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So like you said, we're not saying it's fine because God redeemed. It's like, yeah, it was a big deal. And that's why we can worship even more loudly is because of how good mm-hmm. he is. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I want to go back. I mean, Jenny, for those of you who don't know her, she has so many things in her life that she has walked through. Mm-hmm. But I want to go back to that point where Jen, your friend said, I can't believe that I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think what I hear when I hear that phrase is I'm different now. I know I'm different. And for me to be that person and make those choices, I just can't even believe I allowed myself to get to that place. And so I just think, man, for wherever you are, those of you listening, wherever you are, it it may not even have anything to do with your marriage. It's something in your life that you allowed yourself to get to a place Mm -hmm. um, in whatever area. What is your thing? And you don't recognize yourself. And you don't recognize yourself in that moment. There are drastic steps you can take to do an about face, which is basically what repentance is. And so I would say that is where you need to start. It's just with something, something today, um, do an about face in one particular area and then begin to add on. I mean, because, you you know, Jenny, you, yours was, you probably thought, oh, okay, I'm not going to text guys. Oh, I'm actually not going to be in a car with them. Oh, actually, I think I'm going to have this. So there were layers of you learning Uh how to truly repent. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, and I think so often to, you know, if you're sitting in it right now and just, even if you've cut, and for me, I remember I, I cut off the affair, but still sitting in that guilt. I I was going to take it to my grave with me. And I had decided Mm -hmm. that I would make it right to Brian for the rest of my life. And he would never, ever know. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But that's still stuff that's in the darkness. Yeah. It's poison to yourself. It is. It is poison to yourself. And, and you know what? God loves us so much. He loves us so much. He wants that freedom for us. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like we, we just entrap ourselves mm-hmm. uh, and we allow ourselves to listen to the enemy and, and just kind of get lost in that. And so I, I think if you're asking yourself right now, how did I get myself here? Yeah. I think the first practice is extending grace to yourself mm-hmm. because forgiving myself was probably the hardest part. I think it took a while. Um, but friend, you and I are not different. I'm just, 16 years later, you know, mm-hmm, for sure. That's all it is. And so it sounds like, oh my gosh, it's so easy, but it's not. And it takes hard work and right. every bit of all of the, the tears, all of the lament and the crying out and the uncertainty is worth it. And, mm-hmm. and I will say this too, when I, um, when all of this happened, I, you know, I told you I went into counseling and I was willing to look through all of those things. And, and, you know, the first thing is my fear was like, women would help, like, be like, stay away from my husband. And women would be like, you're not safe, scarlet letter. Right. But what we had to kind of deconstruct for me is that I am not a sex addict. That has nothing to do with it. My brokenness, the manifestation was in this affair. Mm. manifestation could be in drug abuse. It could be in workaholism. workaholism. I also have that. That's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> so I'm, what you're saying is we need a second podcast for that. I one. know, right? <laughs> this will be the first like five part podcast for one person. Jenny Clayville, part one. I I Jenny Clayville, <laughs> Let's part do two. It. 
it is just, here's the thing is it manifests in different ways. Right. And yeah, so that's such a good point, just know whether you are the one suffering from it, or you're looking at someone wondering like, what is wrong with them? Man, that, that log in your own eye sure, is, sure. Is, a, is a thing, right? It's sin is just sin. And I'm not saying that, oh, sin is just sin, but it is, yeah. it is sin. And God hates all sin. He doesn't really hate the big sins. Right. And then really he's okay with the little sins, you know, <laughs> right. like that's not the way it works, but the consequences, right? But it's for our own good and it's for our own joy. Like right. that's why he puts these guidelines in place to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm guessing you were pretty unhappy or I don't want to put words in your mouth or maybe it was a facade of happiness when you were carrying these secrets. Yeah. I mean, the dysfunction was before the affair. Like I mm. I went into my marriage. Um, I absolutely adore my husband now. It's been a complete restoration. God is miraculous even in this time. It's amazing. But when I married my husband, like I told you, my childhood was pretty dysfunctional. Yeah. I married him to escape the dysfunction. And so what am I bringing with me? Yeah. You know, it's not like all of a sudden I get married and I'm healed, you know? And so the manifestation of my affair was really from the root cause of me not knowing what love was, Mm -hmm. even though Brian did love me well, I didn't understand it. There was a filter there. I didn't understand my place in this world. I wanted some sort of importance. And in some weird fashion, this served that my actions in my affair served that in the deception that it was. I'm not saying it really did it, but in my mind, it covered and took care of those things. Mm -hmm. Right. But all of those ways just lead to more suffering. Right. And yeah, and it takes hard work to to get out of it. Mm-hmm. The, the work it took to get in there, like honestly, like, man, the hiding, the concealing, the covering, uh, that was hard work in itself. I bet it was and such a relief when it was over. It really was. It was a relief in one way. Like it was just this, I could breathe. Yeah. No more secrets. And spiritually, I started hearing God's voice again. Wow. Like almost the minute after just I could feel the Holy Spirit moving in my life and there's just there's something beautiful about confession and and I will say it was mixed in with a lot of other things but now years down the road I can go back and think wow I really felt the Holy Spirit moving in my life at that time Mm -hmm. I think it's so important that you brought up just kind of those symptoms, like how it was manifesting, because I think Mm -hmm. for so many people in so many ways, like we're treating this symptom and not the underlying condition, the disease. And, you know, we know this with our kids, like if they're acting out, it's like, okay, what's really going on? Like, are you tired? Are you hungry? Was someone mean to you at school? Like what's happening? But as adults, we don't often do that. We're just looking at the symptom like, man, what's going on? Right. And I think, you know, some preventative things. I know many are listening right now that are right on the line. Mm-hmm. And I hope what you hear is don't jump over that line and let's take care of you now. So that means confessing the thought. I know it sounds scary, but even confessing the thought, the That's action true. hasn't happened yet. Just confess the thought. I, I know that. it's crazy, but do that. Get some counseling, find out the root of the issue. Cause I can guarantee you, it's probably not sex. It's probably not the affair that is like the issue. It's always an underlying something else that needs to be dealt with. And and we all have it. We all have it. 
So with all of that, Jenny, what else have you not told us? <laughs> That's a loaded question. I know. It but... is loaded. You know, I do want to, I want to like back up a little bit because I think, you know, I, I touched on this where there's things that play into the decision of stepping into some sort of sin, right? Uh, for me, it was the fair. Uh, in hindsight, I can see how, you know, I mentioned earlier, just the disconnect in the tension of my understanding of being an Asian American. And maybe I didn't go into it really deep, but that was definitely all kind of wrapped up into that. Mm-hmm. And especially with recent stuff going on, um, in no way do I have it figured out. But we have seen a rise in anti-Asian, um, anti-AAPI, which is Asian American Pacific Islander mm-hmm. hate. Um, and we're seeing it all over social media and now in the news. and Like due to the virus. Right, due to the virus, you know, having it originated in Wuhan. And so what's interesting is a lot of that is coming up for me now, trying wow. to dismantle that. And so I'm just saying, like, up front, I don't have it figured out. <laughs> but it is very much intertwined with even before all of this happened, before I chose to have an affair, the disconnect of knowing who I was. Mm. Some of this tension specifically in my culture is I was born and raised in Seattle, Washington, but I was expected to understand the Chinese culture 100%. But how do you understand a culture you didn't grow up in, right? Mm. So I have never actually felt like I fully belong here as American. And I also, when I go back to Hong Kong, I am not, I'm not one of them either. And so there's this dichotomy of not understanding where your belonging is on earth. And then if you don't have that understanding, how do you reflect that in understanding your placement in the kingdom of God? Where do you belong in God's kingdom? And so that actually fed into a lot of that. So I want to encourage listeners right now. um, Everything is intertwined. I am like the queen of compartmentalizing and then like taking care of things like one at a time. And there is a place for that. But just be aware that it is very possible um, that you have parts of your life that you don't fully understand um, and you have to do the work. It doesn't just end. So like Hmm. for me, the story of my affair it doesn't end. I'm still actually, we're still working on things. Brian Mm -hmm. and I still are very intentional about what that looks like. A healthy marriage looks like. I think Cindy has said this a a million times. We don't want a good marriage. We want a healthy marriage and that takes work, right? Um, Same thing with my personal health and my personal understanding of my belonging in the kingdom. What work do I need to do right now in dismantling and deconstructing my own understanding of my culture or lack of culture, my Asian-ness, my Asian-American experience. And I do want to, this is hard to kind of like have a conversation about just because like it's so deep and you can really get into like a black hole of information. But Mm -hmm. man, racism is a thing. It is a thing. Most people aren't purposely racist. Some people aren't purpose, but most people, the majority I would say are not purposely racist. But I would say that all of us, are passively, including me, just because we have our own biases, we've been written. And those are things that we have to like, kind of think through, like, where did I get that from? You know? And so I obviously, if you just listen to my voice would not even know that I'm Asian. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, you know, Asian American is the umbrella. And so it's kind of like if you were to say black, because underneath the black umbrella is African-American, Jamaican-American, Haitian-American, right? So Asian is 
Indian, Chinese, Japanese, Thai, Filipino. So like when I say Chinese American, it's the kind of American I am. I'm Chinese, but I am also Asian American. Hmm. Uh, But I go to a store uh, in this last year and I get called racial slurs. My sons are half Chinese and half white Mm -hmm. and they have been called racial slurs. And so as a mom, I'm like, are my kids really safe, right? And there's that whole model minority myth or that white adjacency that we are. uh, And that feeds into this anti-Black rhetoric for my uh, elders as well. And so there's this conversation on one side saying, racism is not good. This is not the way of the kingdom. And then on the other side, we're talking to our elders and saying, no, this is not about anti-Black. This is about all of us together. Mm-hmm. And it's just this tension of a conversation. And yeah. and so I think all of this coming up, I just, this is very much a part of me. And of course, this part is more me figuring it out now, but definitely um, my not knowing who I was yeah. back then helped me make choices to actually further not knowing who I was because the enemy is that good at Mm -hmm. messing with your mind. And so just explore all those things. And I think in hindsight, when it comes to um, just my culture, I knew that if I was connected more to a white community, that I would actually make it further in this world. And so somehow in all that, plus the dysfunction with my mom, plus the not understanding who I was, kind of made me actually have a lot of heavy biases against the Asian community. And so I am just Mm. confessing that I am working that out in myself. How can I hate a portion of who I am when I look in the mirror? Mm. And this can actually be connected in any place, not just your race, but when you look in the mirror, what is it that you do not love about yourself? And I think you need to actually stop and address that instead of just glossing it over and thinking, let me just make myself better because self-development is super important. But if you develop over things that you have not healed, oh, you can only go so far. Oh man, because your foundation isn't there. Yeah, it's, it's rocky. rocky. It's rocky. We can all relate to what you just said. How can I hate a part of who I am? That's for mm-hmm. all of us. Like we mm-hmm. are children of God made in his image. And yet I'm glad that you brought that up. I think it's super important. And it really comes down to loving our neighbor as ourselves, as loving others as we want to be yeah. treated, you know, doesn't it? Yeah. Like if yeah. we would just do that, if we would come back to the fundamentals of truly loving God and truly loving others and seeing others, um, right. our world would be different. So. Right. Right. I think that's so key. Right. We just need to we say love our neighbors, but we need to extend that to the neighbors that don't look like us. Right. The neighbors that don't act like us. Yes. Um, and that's going to cost us. Something. We're all sharing this planet. So we're all neighbors. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And so how do we do that collectively? And so how do we do it? as the diverse kingdom of God that we see reflected in the scriptures. And we've, we've not done that well as, as an American church, but I, I have hope. I see us rising. We keep trying to address it. And so like, just lean in, let's not avoid it. Let, let's talk about it. And this is something that we say at National Community Church is feel free to ask anything. And then second, listen well. Third, disagree freely. And then fourth, 
love regardless. I mm. think we have a hard time understanding what it means to disagree freely and then loving regardless after that. So it's just, it just takes practice. Mm-hmm. And I love your humility and saying, what's my part? What can I do? How can I dismantle some of the lies just in my own heart and work right. towards restoration? And I'm asking the same question. You know, I hope that we all are. You know, another resource for this is if somebody wants to follow like what's going on with the Asian American, a- Asian American Christian Collaborative. I don't know if you want to link this. It's called the Reclaim Podcast, and it is hosted by two Asians that are they're in the church world. And so it's not just like justice, but like, what does this mean? Not just for Asian Americans, but also like, how do we as Christ followers what what's our role in this together, right? So it's AACC and they can find it on like Instagram or whatever too. So, so, so good, man. Again, I know that we could have talked for so much longer, but as we wrap up, Jenny, would you just share one final thought that you want everybody to hear, everyone listening? Um, what's a final word for us? Yeah, I would say final words feel so final, I know. but really the pandemic has put us in this place where we just feel isolated and we are siloed and you're not alone. You really aren't. And I I want you to think through how much the enemy has to gain in deceiving you to think that you are. And so we have resources like the messy table. We have so many resources where you can actually plug in to community. We were not meant to do this alone. So do it with somebody else. And if you have a mess going on, Welcome to the welcome to the <laughs> welcome the to the crew, right? That's this right. is this is the club. This is what we're doing. So that's awesome. Thanks, Jenny. You're the best. All right. Well, as we head into Easter weekend, let us remember that we are all one of two criminals. Yeah, maybe we haven't killed anyone, but we've all sinned against a holy God. At one time or another, we have all been self-absorbed and self-indulgent and self-glorifying, self-sabotaging, self-sufficient and self-righteous. And we can choose to laugh in the face of Jesus, to snub Him, to dismiss Him as incompetent, or we can see Him as God in the flesh, who loved us so much that He offered Himself, the saving King that He truly is. May we be the criminals that put our trust in God. So last but not least, a few quick things to note. You can find all of the resources mentioned in the conversation notes. You can subscribe for free to The Messy Table in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean. And we love to connect with you on Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast. Also, in those conversation notes, we're linking Cindy's episode and her books, which might be especially helpful if your spouse was the one who committed the affair, but they're really just great regardless. And we'll link some other past episodes with a similar topic as well. As Jenny said, let's continue to lean in. Let's accept the grace of Jesus and also be willing to do the hard, healing, important work. And as you head back into your world and into Easter weekend, remember, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess.